Isn't the Lord good? Amen. Thank you so much. I invite you today to open your Bible, if you will. Are you, look, are you ready to hear God's Word together? The Lord has a Word for you today. Do you believe that? He has a Word for you. Tell your neighbor, God's got a Word for you today. And so don't go to sleep, all right? Don't zone out. Don't surf the Internet. Uh, open your Bible. Follow along. Now, we're going to look at a whole bunch of different Scripture verses today. So, uh, but I'll tell you, uh, I'd rather have a, sermons that are rich in the Word than sermons that don't refer to the Word. Amen. And so we're going to look into the Word of God together. Ephesians chapter number 2, beginning with verse 11. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised, but those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one, and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh." He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Father in heaven, I pray that we would hear your word today. We're listening. Speak to our hearts. Convict us. Convince us, convert us, challenge us, correct us. Oh, Lord, make us to look more like your Son. Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dementia is a difficult and sad disease for families who are losing their memory for families who have someone in their family who's losing their memory, and with it, their independence and dignity. We're in that strange season of life where our children are grown, and we now have a bunch of little grandchildren in our lives that we enjoy and want to spend time with, but also aging parents that we're trying to care for as well, and loving them. In particular, we have with one of our parents, a, the disease of dementia is uh, 
causing hardship and difficulty and great sadness. One of the things we learn as we care for those with dementia, the daily needs, often multiple times you've got to check in with that person and also often you have to talk about what day is it today. Multiple times a day, maybe you have to answer the question, what time of day is it today? Is it morning today or is it evening now? Is it Sunday again? How, have you taken your medicine today? Did you eat today? Did you shower today? No longer can that one that you love do basic calculations, no longer can drive, no longer can pay the bills, no longer can make decisions, often some days cannot remember your name, forgets that the loved ones that they dearly loved are now gone, and the one with dementia, the world becomes smaller and smaller. Their life becomes smaller, the circle of their environment is smaller, and there's a paranoia about what is happening, whether people are moving their things, taking their things. It's sad. And some of you in this room, you know you, you're doing this. So, some days I think I'm on the verge myself. Today, today, I want to talk about what happens when the church forgets its identity and forgets what the church is called to do and be. We have spiritual dementia in many ways. Sadly, many churches have members who have forgotten who they are. They don't have a sense of timing, how God is working in the world. They don't care well for their own body, the church. They lost their identity of who they are and what they're called to do. And their world gets smaller and smaller and it's all about themselves and no passion for a world that's larger and lost. And a paranoia of fear that things are changing and need to blame others in their fearful condition. Today, I want us to look at some metaphors that are used in God's Word that helps us describe who we are in Christ and who we are as a church. And as you look into Paul's letter here to the Ephesians, he's reminding them of who they are. And he's reminding them of their position in Christ, that they indeed are the people of God. He says, at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, verse 11, you were called the uncircumcised by those who are the circumcised. You were without Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. That's who you were then. But now you are citizens. You're members of God's own household. You once were far away. Now you've been brought near. You are the people of God. And he's reminding them in chapter number 2 of Ephesians, notice in verse number 19, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Tell your neighbor, you are a part of the people of God. You're a part of the people of God. 
You're God's holy people. Now, first of all, as the people of God, I want you to understand this, this as Paul is helping us to understand who we are. He said, you are God's people. You are God's household. You are citizens of his kingdom. You are his people. Now, how did you become his people? First of all, you were chosen by God. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 4, look with me. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace he lavished on us in the beloved. He has lavished his grace on us and God has elected you, chosen you. He chose you. He's blessed you. He selected you. When did he do that? Notice in verse 4, before the foundation of the world. He did this, how? In love. He predestined us to adoption. He has called us to be adopted sons and daughters in his kingdom, in his family. Isn't that an amazing thought? First of all, you didn't choose God. He chose you. He loves you and has called you and he has chosen you. Tell your neighbor, God chose you. He chose you. He has chosen you. Yes, you responded in faith, but he chose you. He took the initiative in your salvation. He has adopted you. Sometimes kids are cruel and they say to another child, well, you were just adopted. One little boy responded, well, I might be adopted, but my mommy and daddy chose me because they loved me and they wanted me. I want you to know something. God wants you. God chose you. God saved you. And he saved you. You didn't do God a favor when you turned from sin and turned to Christ. It was the work of God's spirit in you, changing you, adopting you, transforming you. In 2 Thessalonians, he's made you a part of his church. You've made, made you a part of the people of God. Listen to how the Bible speaks to this in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, verse number 13. Listen to what the scripture says. But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for what? Salvation. How? Through sanctification by the Spirit, through belief in the truth. He called you. To this through our gospel that you might obtain glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. God chose you from the beginning for salvation. He has called you and he sanctified you and he has opened your eyes and you've seen Christ. You saw your sin and you turned to him in faith and God saved you. You were born again. He opened your eyes. This is a work of God. Are you all awake today? His a work of God. It's amazing. You are part of the family of God. Something awesome. In the book of Romans, chapter number 9. If you have your Bible, look with me. Romans chapter 9, verse number 24. Romans chapter 9, verse number 24. 
on us, the ones he has also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As it also says in Hosea, I will call not my people, my people, and she who is unloved, beloved. And it will be in the place where they were told, you are not my people, that they will be called sons of the living God. Do you all remember the story in the book of Hosea? Remember Hosea, who he was? He was an 8th century prophet, right? And Hosea was led, told by the Lord to go and marry a woman. Do you remember her name? She has an unusual name, doesn't she? Her name was Gomer. And so Hosea marries her, and her name is Gomer. Now, Gomer has within her a spirit of harlotry, of, 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 of promiscuity, and also idolatry. And this marriage problem that Hosea has with his wife, God is teaching Hosea the prophet who proclaims it to the nation Israel about the problem in their own uh, lives spiritually. That they are worshiping other idols and gods and that is tantamount to adultery. So Homer uh, so Hosea marries Gomer, and they have a son, and he names his son. Together they have a son, and they name him Jezreel. And Jezreel means to sow or seed. It's a, it's a good name. But secondly, they have an, uh, she bears, Gomer does, a daughter. And the daughter is not his. The daughter is was conceived in her infidelity with her husband. And she's named Loruma, meaning no mercy, no compassion, not loved. Hosea names this child not loved. And then she gives birth to another child after the daughter is weaned. And she names this boy Loami which means not mine, not my people. Again, another child born from her infidelity. And so she is not my people, and she is not loved. In this tragic story of, of infidelity that is found here in Hosea, it's in the midst of that that the Lord calls him, he calls Hosea, to go back and to love again this wife. She so spirals down in her infidelity that she ends up living like a prostitute on the streets. She finds herself enslaved at the slave market, and she is, uh, it's a disgrace to the man of God and the way that his wife is. But in chapter 2, verse number 23 of Hosea, it says, I will sow her in the land for myself, and I will have compassion on Lo-Rumah. And I will say to Lo-Ami, you are my people. And he will say, you are my God. God says, I'm going to do a work in the people that once weren't loved, and now I'm going to call loved. 
And the people that once that I said, not my people, I will say, you are now my people. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us and he will heal us. He has wounded us and he will bind our wounds. He will revive us after two days. And on the third day, he will raise us up so we can live in his presence. In verse number 6 of Hosea 6, it says, For I desire faithful love and that sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. He's saying, listen, I want you as my people. And so God's, that is the message that he gives to us here concerning the nation of Israel, repentance and turning back to God and God's redemption and forgiveness and healing of him. But Paul takes this very same text and he uses it for Gentiles, all of us. And he says, once you were called not my people, now you're my people. And you once weren't loved, but now you are loved. My friends, God has loved you with amazing love in Jesus Christ. We are not only a chosen people, we're a changed people. He changes us by his work of grace in us. The book of Romans in chapter number 2, in verse number 29, on the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcisions of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. God says, he says, you weren't, weren't considered God's people. You were once called the uncircumcision by the circumcision. But tell, let me tell you the truth. True circumcision is circumcision of the heart when God does a work in our lives. And that is true circumcision. It says so in Philippians 3.3. 3. And so God has done a work in us. You see, here's the deal. We were lost in our trespasses and sins. We were separated from God. We were far away from him. But he made us, made us his people. This is how he did it. He made us his people because he caused us to be born again. And our eyes are open. And the spirit of God quickened us out of death into life life and he has written our names in glory he paid for all of our sins by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross he rose again victoriously from the grave and he's chosen you from the foundation of the earth and he changed you from being dead to alive Amen. and he has adopted you as sons and daughters Amen. now that is pretty amazing Amen. and that's the greatest news I know in all the world God changed you. He changed you. In the outline that you'll find online, you'll find other supporting scripture texts. We're not going to look at all of those today. But if you look with me, not, not only that, but the next point I want us to look at is, is that we are his peculiar people. So 1 Peter chapter number 2. Do you have your Bible? Look with me to 1 Peter Chapter number 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse number 9. Now, first of all, I use the word peculiar. That's the translation that's found in, in the King James Version and a few other translations. It's based on this text of Scripture found in 1 Peter chapter 2. So I thought we could just have fun with that. 1 Peter 2, tell your neighbor you're peculiar. 
Indeed, you are peculiar. Some of you are more peculiar than others. And so if you look with me um, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9. Now, by the way, the word peculiar is from the Latin. And the word pecu comes from the idea of, Lat- of the Latin word for cattle. And, uh, and uh, then perculium is property. And so it's the idea of my owner ownership of property, of a herd, of my personal property. Peculiaris is private personal property. That's why it's translated in the New King James, my own special people. You are now mine. Notice how the Christian Standard Bible translates verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is where it could read, a peculiar people, a people for his own possession, his possession. You see, God has made you his own people. You are the people of God so that you may proclaim the praises the glories, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. You had not received mercy, but now have received mercy. You are the people of God. In the book of Exodus, the people in Egypt, God's people, that he had not forgotten his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He brings them out with a strong arm he brings out him out with, with great compassion. He brings them out in great miracles. And he brings them through the Red Sea. And he guides them to, uh, to, into the wilderness. And he covenants with them that you are my people from my own possession. But I want you to know this is what God has done for you. You are now a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into light. You have been saved. You've been born again. You've been bought by a price. You are now the special possession of his people. You have been bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. You've possessed for a purpose, and that's to proclaim his praises, the one who called you out of darkness into light. There is no B team. There is no second way that God is going to do this. God has chosen his people to be instruments to proclaim his glories and excellencies in all of the earth. And we are missionary because God has saved us with a purpose. He's called us out of darkness into light so that we might go into all of a broken and dark and decayed world and proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord. He died for our sins and he rose again from the grave triumphantly. He is the Son of God and he'll change your life and give you hope and meaning and purpose. I'm telling you that gospel message has power in it. Wherever it's proclaimed in all the world, and you go in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the authority of God's word, and, and, and moved by the truth of the gospel, and you proclaim Jesus Christ in God's world. We're called to be the people of God, a powerhouse of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Secondly, today, we are the family of God. We are not only the chosen people of God, but we are the family of God, thinking about another analogy, another way to consider thinking about us as a family. First of all, we are the bride of Christ. Now, that may seem a little weird to you to think about, but indeed the Bible talks about in multiple places that we are the bride of Christ. In Ephesians chapter number 5, do you have your Bible? Look with me to Ephesians chapter number 5, in verse number 25. Husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, we are called to love one another. Men, we are called to love our wives, but how are we to love them, your bride, You're to love her like Christ loved whom? His what? Ephesians 5.25. He, we are to, we are to love her like Christ loved the church. Amen. We are the bride of Christ. He says, verse 32, this mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum it up, each of you love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. You are part of the bride of Christ. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5, for, you, for your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who's called the God of all the earth. Amen. Would you look with me to the book of Revelation, chapter number 19, beginning with verse number 7. Do you have your Bible? Look with me. Revelation 19, 7. Don't miss this. It's good. Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory Because the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has prepared herself. Who is the bride at the marriage? It's the church. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. For the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. And he said, right blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And he also said to me, these words are faithful and true. You see, at most weddings, and by the way, I'm a bit of an expert on weddings. I've done a bunch of them. In weddings today in our culture, who's kind of the center of the wedding experience? Oh, you think it's the bride. Nope, it's her mom. And so, uh, (laughs) and so in the wedding, right? And so the, the, the bride never looks more beautiful. Her hair is done. She's wearing her dress. She's beautifully adorned. Flowers, bouquets, a whole wedding party of attendants. And here comes, like a sheep to the slaughter, the groom. And he comes right there to the front. And his eyes, he's all bugged out. He goes, uh, he can't even think. And she's walking down the aisle. He is so in love. He doesn't even know what questions I'm asking him. Yes. And so, and so they get, they're so in love. Really, he's just thinking about after the wedding. But she's thinking about all about the wedding. And it's glorious and beautiful. And, and, and it's, it's about 
her day. But that's just the opposite of how the Bible looks at a wedding. The center is the bridegroom. And it's his day. And the bride is coming to him. And she's glorious. And he makes her even more glorious. It's unbelievable. It's beautiful. The joy of a husband and the joy of the bride. And she is united to her husband. But what kind of wedding would it be when the bride comes in and she's bloodied and the veil is torn and her kneecaps are bleeding and she's been brawling with her sisters before the wedding? My friends, don't criticize the church and don't criticize one another and let's don't tear at one another because we are the bride of Christ. Amen. Let's honor one another. Secondly, not only are we the bride of Christ, but as God's family, we're the children of God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner, see what great love the Father has bestowed on us. The word bestowed means lavished upon us. That we should be called the children of God. And such we are. Did you know that you're a child of God? He has lavished and poured out his love on you. He's made you a child of God as many as received him. To them he gave the right to become the children of God. You are a child of God. I'm a child of the king. A child of the king with Jesus my savior. I'm a child of the king. Behold now we are the children of God. Chapter 3 verse 2. 1 John 3 2. Behold, now we are the children of God, and it's not appeared yet what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we will see him as he is. And everyone has this hope fixed on him, purifies himself. Did you know Jesus Christ is going to appear again? How many of you all believe Jesus Christ is coming again? You know that right now you're a child of God. Tell your neighbor, I am a child of God. Now tell them you are a child of God. It's not appeared what we will be, but we know that when he appears, okay, you're not everything that you're going to be, praise God, but God is doing a work in you. God's not done with you. Tell your neighbor, God's not done with you. You know, you know what? Some of you, are, he's working on you. So y'all are a piece of work. He's working on you. He is coming again. How many of y'all believe Jesus is coming again? When he appears, the word appear means coming. When he's coming, we will be like him. 
And when he comes again, we will see him as he is, face to face. And we will be like him. Woo! We'll be glorious. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And everyone who has this hope, believes this truth, purifies himself as his pure. What does that mean? It means I want to live for his coming. I want to please him. I want to do what he's called me to do. I love being a grandpa. It is so awesome. Wish I'd done that first. (laughs) And so whenever I go to see the kids or maybe they come to our house, I just love at the stage of my little, some of my little girls are right now, because the first thing they say when they walk in the house is, where's Papa? Where is Papa? Sometimes to the chagrin of Mama, where is Papa? And they love me. They can't, they don't stay long, but they embrace me, talk to me, let me hold them for a second, and then they're gone. But I love it. I love it. And they love it when I come home. If I've been gone and I come home and they're at my house, they just love it when Papa comes. They're excited. They run to me. Let me hold them. It's, it's awesome. Can't tell you what it feels like. But I'm telling you, there's one that's coming. And he's greater than any dad or grandpa. He is your Lord and Savior. And I want to serve him when he comes. Amen. But this is when this amnesia gets into our minds. We forget who we are and whose we are. And we begin to focus not on him, but we focus on ourselves. We focus on ourselves. We focus on my rights, my pleasures, my fulfillment, my desires, my needs, my preferences. And the focus is off of him and on to me. My friends, the question should be, the desire should be, am I living like him? Am I living to please him? Thirdly, understand today that because we're part of his family, we are brothers and sisters. If we have God as our father and we are the children of God, then other, the other children of God are our brothers and sisters. First John chapter 4, verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. Now listen to what the scripture says. If someone says, I love, my, love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who is not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that one who loves God should love one another also. You're to love your brother and your sister. Schisms and divisions in the church injure the church and impeach the very message that we preach. Amen. 
You are a part of the family of God. You are a part of his family. In the book of Ephesians, chapter number four, unity is essential. Love for one another is essential in the fellowship of his church. In Ephesians, chapter number four, listen to how Paul reminds us. In verse number four, there's one body, one spirit. You're called to one hope at your calling one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all, through all, and in all. You're one. Notice in chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 32. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ hath forgiven you. You are part of a family, a loving family. Folks, let me tell you, I want you to listen close. When we forget who we are, then we injure and fight and bicker and quarrel with one another because we're focused on ourselves and rather than on God. And it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Get our eyes off self and get our eyes on him and who we are and what he's called us to do. Listen, there's no greater joy in my life than when my children were born. The second kind of joy in my life was the new birth of my children. When my children were born again and became followers of Jesus Christ, it thrilled my heart to watch my children, all of them, confess Christ and then be baptized and serve Him in His church. But I'll tell you another third joy that is in my life is that my children have a love for one another. My children get along with each other. They love each other. Thank God. Not all of us have that in our home, but I'm telling you, it's a great blessing it's a great blessing around the dinner table as they laugh and share and talk, as they talk about life and family and remembrances of childhood. And usually I'm the butt of a lot of those jokes. And then they, they enjoy and they cry together and laugh together, remember each other's birthdays and pray for each other and call one another. It's great joy in my life. My children love one another. But there's no greater grief than when my children, who I love, don't like each other turn on each other, hate each other, speak evil of one another. How does it make the father feel when his children are fighting each other? A new commandment I give you, love one another just as I've loved you, so love one another. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. You say, Brother Tim, how do I love? It's not just feelings. The way you love one another is acts of mercy and kindness and faithfulness and loyal to one another. And you forgive one another and you partner with one another. And it's all the one another's in scriptures, right? This is what we do. This is life in the family of God. We suffer with one another. We pray for one another. We rejoice with one another. We weep with one another. We encourage one another. We speak truth one to another. We worship God with each other. We fellowship and have communion and community with one another because we are part of the body of Christ and the family of God.
I know some of you are sitting here today and you're saying, yeah, but maybe somebody's saying, yeah, but how do I love them? You don't know what they did. You don't know what they said. You don't know how hurt I am. And there's anger and hurt and frustration. Maybe I'm more sensitive to it now, but I find in the culture and even in the church in these post-COVID days, a more irritability and a more self-centeredness and a more frustration and easy to be offended and it's epidemic and it's contagious and it's life-threatening. What's the source of all of that? I can tell you what's not the source. The source is not the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's your flesh. One of my favorite, one of my favorite films is a movie that's old now, but it's a movie called Sea Biscuit. Anybody ever heard of that movie? It's a great movie. Tobey Maguire is there, and he plays the character of Red Pollard, who is a jockey. And Red had been abandoned by his family and had all kinds of scars from his past. And he was always angry, always fighting with others. Chris Cooper is the trainer. His name is Tom, and he's in a very important race. And he feels that one of the other guys riding a horse next to him bumps him. And so in his anger, all he can focus in is that somehow he had been fouled. And so he runs, he gets his horse right up next to him, and he moves his horse over until it's hitting into the rail, and he's screaming at him at the top of the lung. How do you like it on the rail? I put you on the rail. How's that feel? And he loses focus of the race, and they lose the race because of his anger and fighting. After the race, he's confronted by the trainer, Chris Cooper, who's Tom, and he said, you lost the race. He said, but he fouled me. He fouled me. What am I supposed to do, let him go? And he said, yeah, when he was 40 to 1 odds, you lost the race. But he fouled me. He fouled me. And just then the owner, played by Jeff Bridges, said, son, what are you so mad about? Why are you so angry? So many people, it's about me, and you're angry. You say, Brother Tim, how do I get beyond that? Glad you asked. Come, come with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children 
and walk in love as Christ also loved, him, loved us. And listen, and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Come with me. Come with me to the place where the most precious human being on the face of the earth died for us. He was the perfect man, God in the flesh, and he loved us with an everlasting love. He was beaten and mocked and jeered and hated and scorned. They nailed him to a Roman cross and they hung him on that cross in, humil in great humiliation. And on that cross, he was bearing our sins. Come with me to the cross and see yourself there as you hear him cry, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. As you hear him cry from the cross, I'm thirsty, and realize that your sins nailed him to the cross. Look at the cross, and he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And you know that your sins is what he was paying for, that he died for you. And as you look, you're kneeling at the cross. And as you're kneeling at the cross, you're saying, God, forgive me. Christ, forgive me. Christ, you are bearing my sins. Lord Jesus, you be the Lord and master my life. But then you look at others who are kneeling at the cross of Christ too. And realize that he is your Savior. And they are your brothers and your sisters. Amen. And we're to love them like Christ loved the church. And we are to love them, forgive them, just as God in Christ hath forgiven you. Amen. And there's no place for pride among the people of God. We are his people. We are his family. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but lost and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. We are the people of God. We are the family of God. Let's make our focus Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. For your word, it's powerful and true. Have your way in our hearts and our lives in this moment.
If there's one person here today that doesn't know Christ as Savior, I pray that today they might believe the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died for all of their sins, our sins, that He was buried and rose again and will forgive and change all who turn to Him. Oh, Father, have Your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen.